You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Hey, what's up? Welcome back to Surf Splendor. This is your host, David Scales. This week's guest is unflinching big wave surfer, champion, spear fisherman, and part-time Hollywood stuntman, Mark Healy. Among his many accomplishments, I know him best actually just for going left at giant right-handers like Mavericks, Waimea, Jaws. There's some actually really great footage. Um, Mark's kind of partnered with GoPro, so there's great footage of him going left at Mavericks and then getting sucked over the falls on another wave. I'll post all of that, of course, on surfsplendorpodcast.com, but it's a heavy wave to go left at, and of course, so is Waimea. Um, so in addition to those things, Mark is a perennial invitee, actually, to the Quicksilver in memory of Eddie Aikau contest at Waimea Bay. He's the winner of the 2010 Toto Santos Big Wave event. He also won the 2009 Billabong XXL Monster Tube Award for getting shacked at a kind of lesser known organ wave known as the Yeti. In addition to those big wave exploits, in 2008, Mark won the World Cup of Spearfishing in La Paz, Mexico, and he recently launched a business called Healy Water Ops, where he basically facilitates extreme ocean experiences, one-of-a-kind, once-in-a-lifetime experiences for anyone who wants a world-class experience with the world's best athletes. Mark will facilitate that based on... His vast ocean knowledge, and I mean, he's kind of in a class of his own in a lot of different realms. So we get into that a little bit in this show. And then we kind of gloss over a couple of other just really interesting facets of Mark's personality and life. Um, One of which is that he's an avid bow hunter, hunts and gathers a lot of his own food. So really interesting, dude. You can follow him on Instagram at Healy Water Ops and at HealyWaterOps.com. I'll have links to those things as well as photos and videos of Mark and everything that we discuss in this show on SurfSplendorPodcast.com. I found him to be very forthcoming, affable, astute, and very well-spoken. I really, really enjoyed chatting with Mark, and I appreciated his insights into a lot of the aspects of professional surfing that Scott and I speculate on regularly on this show. So I'm really pleased to be able to bring you this episode. Without further ado, here's my conversation with Mark Healy. I'll be back at the end to sign us off. Enjoy. That I don't even know where it was. It was in some video interview that you did about one of your most memorable ocean experiences being riding a great white shark holding the dorsal fin and maybe the first time that you've done it maybe you've done it more than once now Mm -hmm. but there's also youtube footage of you stiff arming a tiger shark Mm -hmm. and um you know that like even swimming with sharks sounds crazy to most people Mm -hmm. tell me what 
we don't know about sharks. What do you know about them that we don't? And enlighten us. Why? Yeah. Why aren't you afraid of sharks? Well, I'd say um, I'm. I um, I wouldn't say I'm not afraid of sharks under you know the right circumstances. The same way you saying I'm not afraid of humans. You should be afraid of humans sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> it depends on the situation. Um, but it's just really based on. A foundation of experience. Okay. So I've been in the water with sharks showing up since a young age, probably like 12 years old, just from spearfishing. So that naturally happens. So basically when you're spearfishing, you're creating a lot of times like the perfect storm or scenario for sharks to show up. You're very quiet in the water. Um, You're not making a lot of like intimidating noises. You're trying to be smooth. Um... And you're also spearing fish, and it's creating that like that dinner bell going off, sure. and there's blood in the water. And usually, places that are rich with fish are rich with sharks as well. So it's kind of like this perfect scenario to <laughs> inadvertently attract sharks, and uh, and you kind of get a skill set and a knowledge base of dealing with like real wild sharks, yeah. not ones that are just fed at a feeding site all the time that are a little more accustomed to to humans. Um, and in a lot of situations, you know, in my early days when I first ran into them, you, you don't really have a choice but to kind of deal with the situation sure. instead of just jumping out of the boat and being like, oh my God, it would have bit me if it came back around. You're like, oh my God, it's going to bite me. And then, you're, But I got to deal with it. And then you realize like, no, it's not going to bite me. Yeah. You're kind of forced to stay longer than you might want to should you have an out. So it shows you, um, oh, okay, maybe I'm overreacting to this. And, uh, you know, that just taking that knowledge base and learning as I gain more and more experience, I kind of, it's given me a realistic view on um, shark behavior. And uh, most of the population doesn't, hasn't had the chance or hasn't had the desire to go and do that. So my fear threshold with sharks is obviously going to be pretty different than the average person. What is a realistic fear to have of sharks? Uh, A realistic fear is like, you know, if you're, say, surfing in South Australia uh, outside of Seal Colony and it's pretty much any time of day, (laughs) like, (laughs) you have odds of getting hit by a shark. There's certain places, you know, if you're around Seal Colonies in places that you just know that there's Mm -hmm. large population of great white sharks during a season when they're coming in for seal pups or whatever there's there's certain risks that i don't feel are validated to take on a personal level sure um but is it safe to say that like the realistic fear is that they are um hunting uh seals or whatever their natural animal is and you being there Mm -hmm. in that colony is a mistake on your part but if you're yeah yeah. In your time and place, you can get unlucky. I mean, the same way, you know, drive on a freeway. Yeah. You're, 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 you should be much, much more afraid driving on the 405. Right. Much more. Yeah, totally. I think your odds are a lot worse there. Tell me about some of the work that you do with marine biologists. Um, so that has kind of spawned out of uh, working with sharks. Um, just in, in different film projects and actually volunteering just to kind of be safety for some film projects oh, okay. and you know I started meeting people from the scientific community and uh, you know even working with GoPro on some of the shark projects I kind of like 
naturally I never set out for it, but it just kind of ended up happening that I people would kind of come to me with projects, and um, so I think it's super cool. I always wanted to be a marine biologist. Oh, really? Like I wasn't one of those kids when I was little that was like, I'm gonna be a pro surfer. Yeah, like I that it didn't seem realistic to me, and sure. I was very interested in marine biology. Um, I always did well in school, but being that I was born and raised on the North Shore, the opportunity came to me. Right. Like if I wasn't in the, growing up in the spotlight of surfing, I don't think it would have went that direction for me. Yeah. I would have kept surfing big waves and enjoying it. But yeah. Um, so I have a, a real keen interest in it, and I enjoy it. Like when I go and do these things, uh, working with scientists, you know, you're in bunk beds, you're washing dishes, you're not getting paid. It's it's like work. On a boat for a long period of time. Yeah, and in the water, like, pounding, diving. Really? You know, eight-hour days. Wow. Um, So it's it's a passion. And um, I I just wanted to see what kind of um, tools that I have kind of in my kit that I can use to help realistically. And so I looked at it like, okay, I know animal behavior. I'm a good free diver. I know sharks well. I know how to use a spear gun really well. Um, so how about we expedite the shark tagging process because you have some limitations on scuba. It's like, okay, you can't go up and down too quickly. Um, you know, you have your decompression times in between dives. You can only do so many tanks to certain depths per day and time is money on these things Mm. and opportunity because you're also dealing with weather windows. So the more you can maximize your time and get more tags out, the better data set you're going to get. And so through free diving, I'm actually able to approach at a, at a sharks that are a bit more wary. Okay. Because see, like tagging a, a great white shark or a big tiger shark is easy because they'll, they'll come in and you just bait them in and they're a lot more confident around you because they're huge yeah. <laughs> and they're the apex predator and they have thick skin. You're not going to injure them if you're... If your tag's like six inches off, you can power up the spear gun that you're using for a tag if you're using one, which with more power, you're going to get more accuracy. Sure. So you can shoot it from further away. So it's that's easy. Like I don't need to be sent to go do those things. What really interests me are like the, I did the first ever pelagic thresher tagging and that was in the Philippines. And... They're very scarce animals. They don't come in for chum. Um, we're actually, uh, I was waiting for them. They'd only show up before the sun came up, like when it's like gray light, you could barely see. Hmm. And um, they'd come in between 80 and 100 feet on this reef drop off. They actually do circles to have these uh, cleaner wrasse fish that live in these different coral heads that they know and come back to um, clean the parasites off of them. So they're not motivated by feeding. So it's kind of more random, and it's interesting. Got to dive deeper, and they're they're not. They got their big thresher tail, which is really interesting, and they're cool looking animals. But they're not. They don't want to come close to you, right? So it's very challenging from a you know perspective of approaching them close enough to get a tag. And they're also a lot more sensitive. Their skin's not super tough and and super thick. They're you know. Besides their super long tail, they're probably like five, maybe six feet. So you're looking at a target area at the base of the dorsal is actually really small. And you have to power the gun down because you don't want to injure them. So I got to get really close wow. and all those challenges. And then 
Another one I did was the first tagging project ever in Japan, which is surprising because the Japanese are so up to date on technology, right? Yeah. You would think. Sure. And um, that's with uh, scalloped hammerheads. And it's a similar situation to where they're congregating for reasons debated um, at this site called uh, Mikimoto. Um, off a, not, it's about three and a half hour bus ride from Tokyo, which is surprising. It's teeming with life. And uh, they congregate there usually when the currents are really strong, you know, working in like three to four knot currents. And uh, they're not responding to bait, hmm. you know, so you can't chum them up. They're coming to do, they're coming together socially. So you got to go find them. And the thing is, is you can't really approach them from the bottom. They get really sensitive. So if you're on scuba laying on the bottom, you're like, okay, here they come. But those bubbles coming past their head can't ever get an angle to sink that tag at the base of their dorsal fin. So you kind of got to be dropping in on them at a 45 degree angle kind of over their tail, but a little cocked to their side. And um, yeah, that was super challenging diving. No kidding, man. Wow. So do you ever think, I mean, you could always go back to school if you wanted to. You know, you can make a Mm. full career out of it from that angle. Is that ever an option or... Um, no, not really. Okay. I don't like sitting down too long. Um, <laughs> but but my goal with all of this is to uh, to really, if I can, you know, in a humble way, connect the two worlds of you know recreational or commercial fishermen, yeah, spear fishermen with the scientific community mm-hmm. because there's there can be quite a bit of a divide. It's yeah. like two party politics. You know, we get caught up in this like. It goes from what's best for everybody to I just want to win the argument, mm. you know. So, you know, you have these two different sides. You have the, you know, some some sides on one end are like I don't want any rules. I want to do whatever I, want, I can. I want to exploit. But especially in the recreational area, there's a lot more people that probably care about it more than anybody else, and I think their voices get buried a lot of times. But, and then there's great scientists doing really good work. But then on the other end, a lot of scientists work off grants. So sometimes some scientists have to change their motives to kind of fit into the grant. You know, oh, this elderly billionaire lady really likes otters. So I'm going to get my research funded and skew my research a little or point in the direction of closing off like the whole coast of Southern California of recreational fishing. Right. So why would these guys who are spending more time and more knowledgeable on a first-hand basis going to want to give information to a scientist that's going to use it to shut them out of what they love doing Yeah. to make a name for himself? So, right. so it's I'm trying to be a connector to link up people with good motives that are really talented because we're working on borrowed time already and we can't keep messing around with this bullshit of he said she said right yeah the <laughs> politics the red tape yeah exactly you're awkward Let's see um well i think that's kind of a nice transition actually into the subject of just making a living in the surf business making mm-hmm. a living in general and that's kind of a, a subject that comes up in this show a lot with everybody that we talk to Traditionally, to make a living as a pro surfer, there's kind of two models. There is the contest surfer and then there's the free surfer. And I feel like that free surfer category has actually been divided into a lot of different ways in the last decade more than it was previously, where there's big wave free surfers, there's air guys, there's watermen, which I think is probably a category that you would fall into. Um, 
I don't think this was my first exposure to you. And I looked on YouTube for this footage and I couldn't find it anywhere. But were you in an MTV True Life episode? Yeah, a while ago. You were, right? Yeah. <laughs> I feel like it was maybe before Quicksilver because like, the yep. storyline was like you trying to make ends meet by like yeah. doing the Triple Crown came around. No, it could have still went out <laughs> when I was on Quicksilver. <laughs> I lived off of $500 a month period for three years. No way. Yeah. On the North Shore. On the North Shore. Brutal, side dude. jobs, whatever. At what age? So there was... 9-11 happened. The economy went to crap. Um, did you have a main sponsor? I did. Like I was with Rusty to... forever. That's right. Okay. Yeah, and they kind of got me good. <laughs> the marketing director, some guy who came from Disney, came in and just you know wasn't that honest and it got me good. And at a late point, so see, this is a this is a deal, and this is kind of like honestly, it's it's a move that almost every surf company uses. And I always try to warn my friends. So what they do is. As it comes, like you're like, all right, deals coming up. We need to start talking about it at least in August because you know the budgets always come in late. They usually come in around like October, um, November, even sometimes. So you're like, okay, we got to get the conversation started. And they're like, okay, yeah, we're interested, blah blah. blah. And um, then they'll go dark on you for like the last two and a half months of the year, and so they'll sit, give you interest, so you don't go and look around. Because they know they basically got you by the short and curlies as soon as it gets that that last. So there's a holiday week where nobody's in the office at the end of December. So if you haven't had a comparable offer by middle of December, they know that already. What happens is they don't get back to you till because those other offers, that budget money would have disappeared. They got to use it sure. before it disappears. And then, you know, January 5th. And they get back in the office, they're like, oh, yeah, about what we told you. It's going to be half. They all do that to surfers. Yeah. So it's a, it's a minefield for a professional surfer, sure. aspiring one. So that kind of happened to me there. And so, okay, it's already into the next year. All budgets are gone. Um, you don't want to go just – if you're smart about your career, you don't want to just go and take money from anybody. You know, you look towards a long-term goal and what really yeah. fits with you. So I ended up going – but I still had Reef. They were great. They stuck to me. So I was making 500 a month for them. So I did that whole year. And then I got picked up by Quicksilver for 500 a month. But they told me I had to drop Reef. Oh, no. <laughs> so I was back to making only 500 a month. And I had to cut ties with a company that really stuck by me, which I felt terrible about. But sure. I had to like look at the future of it. And then, yeah, I was at that rate for two years. And so was that like late teens, early 20s? That was early 20s. Okay. Late teens. So, yeah, that True Life MTV episode, it was like living from contest to contest, essentially. Then the Quicksilver came along, you know, and then yep. that went away, obviously, at, between 2001, 9-11, and then financial crash in 2008. Probably had a few good years there. But at mm -hmm. 2008, the Quicksil Quicksilver had this huge culling yep. where they got rid of pretty much everybody. Mm -hmm. Um and then I remember you had you were on Depactus for a short period when they were around for a short period, and I was glad to see that happen. And I actually really was impressed with like their branding and what mm -hmm. they were potentially going to do, you know. And so mm -hmm. it was sad to see that disappear as well. But it's like you're a guy who you've had great potential. You've had um, mm -hmm. in terms of 
surfing ability and uh, exposure and all that, like you are out there. It's just kind of got a deal with the wrong company at the wrong time with the economy doing what it's done. So I feel like you're a great guy to have the conversation with, which is just like, how do you make a living as a pro surfer nowadays? You know? Uh, so like how you were talking about earlier, there's the free surfer kind of niche that, yeah. and you know, that's been subdivided into big wave surfer or whatever guy or, or whatever. Right. But what you have to keep in mind is that free surf pie of money is probably a third of what it once was. And it's got more different niches in it. I agree. And um, there's maybe only one or two guys at the top of that pie. And like, there's no middle there's, there's, not, there's, few there's not a lot of middle class, and it's it's only gonna this trend is only gonna continue for sure. I agree. I'd say 100. percent There's like no middle class, it's but like, then also like a lot of the see, see this is what's changed a lot. Surfers are now before it was like you remember all that stuff when outside brands are coming in and trying to sponsor WSL con, or ASP contests at the time and yeah. Surf companies get super up in arms. They're like, no, you can't have an outsider. Or somebody even like Nike comes in and like, you know, the, the surf media and the surfers kind of jump all over them. Like, you guys aren't surfing. You know, you're coming from the outside. I think the tables have totally turned or the tides have totally turned in that now surfers go and buy non-surfing stuff. They do. Totally. And they're, nobody's wearing head-to-toe billabong or whatever it is. It's, it's you know, people, you're going to see a surfer go buy a pair of Carhartt pants and maybe a Lululemon shirt if they're, you know, over 25 years old and have some cash. Right. Uh, so I think those days are over. I think the surf industry got really cocky with how easy money was in the 90s. Mm-hmm. and they kept repeating the same things that they could pull off then as the economy got tough and finally realized a little late that they got too big and too spread out. They got, um, they grew a lot in that period of time. Yeah. And, and it's crazy watching so many different companies. Like you have to be really be careful about fast growth. It's a killer. Oh yeah, completely. <laughs> um, but it's been interesting. And so that's why, um, spent a lot of time and, and effort to, to really put together like the people I'm working with now in, um, in being in that in line with the different companies that I'm kind of starting right now and in line with what I want to do. You know, it's like I've done the traditional surf, surf media and surf, you know, professional surf free surfer thing long enough. Like I don't, I don't need to do it anymore. It's been great. I'm super thankful and I owe the surf industry a ton. But um you know, you gotta you gotta do things that are meaningful. You yeah. work on projects that are meaningful. Sure. And um so I've just done a a lot in uh redirecting and making sure all the brands that I'm working with are kinda heading in the same direction that I wanna go. Yeah. And so I just kinda did a whole revamp of, of things lately. So let's talk about that. Um, who are you working with and, or maybe just start with how do you make a living as a pro surfer nowadays? And yeah, well, um, the foundation is you can't just, there's only a handful of people that can go and just surf. Like you gotta be creating content. You gotta yeah. be bringing something to the brand besides just going out and being awesome. Right. <laughs> um, so, 
And you have to have your own brand at the same time, which is I, I hate saying that just because it sounds so like soulless and terrible <laughs> that you're a brand. But I mean, as far as your social media and everything, you have to be bringing something to the table that they can piggyback on. Yep. Um, so I would say more than anything, um, a lot of my stuff is just content production and working with like my brands and and a lot of consulting in ways like sure. whether it's um, doing um, design work working with a design team um, doing those like two big film trips a year for um, their content and their photos and helping them like okay we have I have idea A, B, C, and D do they work I can connect you guys and with any kind of crew to fill these positions to make it the best it can be or work with storyline narrative um and uh, also give them a mutual benefit of interfacing them with some of my other uh, uh, businesses that I'm working with right. or like charitable or positive causes. Yeah. So it's it's super undefined. Sure. Now, honestly. Yeah. And that's the only way you'll, you'll make a living right now is mm-hmm. to be undefined and kind of move like water, you know, yeah, I Bruce totally, Lee style. <laughs> I totally agree. Let's talk about... Um, you're involved like what what are the companies that you're involved in and what is surf shop box let's mm-hmm. talk about that a little bit okay yeah definitely so the companies that i've i've started or, or am involved with involved with not just sponsored by right is, um, the main one that i've been working on the last few years is uh healy healy water ops mm-hmm. or healy water operations is the full name and so i do um basically make very high-end, bespoke, customized adventures in, on, under the ocean, anywhere on the planet for very high-end clientele. So they come to me, they're like, hey, we want a yacht, or our yacht's going to be here, or we want to do something in the Indian Ocean, and we're going to have X amount of people, some guests are going to fly in at a certain time on the heli, bought this, that, and the other. Um, I'm like, okay, do you want the best kite surfer in the world teaching you? Do you want to do, um, you know, survival day on an island, <laughs> learn survival skills, or do you want to just relax and we set up a safety team because you want your children safe around the ocean, or you want to be safe? Do you want a submarine? Like, wow, anything? Yeah, and that's been super, super exciting. Are there a lot of other brands in that space doing that? Uh there is in bits and pieces. Okay. Not a lot. Yeah. They will be coming, though. Sure. But I'm already a few years ahead, so yeah, I'm and pretty you're, stoked. <laughs> and your qualifications, you know, speak for themselves. Yeah, and, so. and I think, you know, you pay people what they're worth, and you treat them well. Yeah. With dignity. Absolutely. And when you have where a lot of them are, you know, some of them are coming from, which is a, a sponsorship platform that's really a breath of fresh air. Yeah, I, I can see that. <laughs> and you get a lot of loyalty. Yeah, I can imagine. Um, yeah, well, I was sad to see your Instagram handle change. I know. I had to grow <laughs> up. It was a gem. Yeah, Donkey Show up. doesn't go over it well with, like, the, the Billionaires Club. Oh, yeah. It just, yeah. <laughs> I had to put my big kid hat on. I, I didn't even, I started Instagram. I I wanted to have, like, a somewhat anonymous account that I didn't have any professional liability attached to because yeah. I didn't think it was going to become a big thing. Was, we were sitting at a dinner and it was Shelby Mead, who's, who's Kelly's publicist. 
She's like, you got to get on this Instagram thing. You're not on it. You're blowing it. I'm like, okay, can you set it up for me? I threw in my phone. And then uh, I remember we were talking. Chris Christensen, he made up some some tequila cocktail, and he called it the Donkey Show. I was like, I wonder if Donkey Show is available. And it was, <laughs> and that's how it happened. You probably could have sold the name, actually. I still got it. Who oh, wants dear. to buy it? Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Um yeah, it's funny. None of us could have imagined what Instagram would become, you know? And, yeah. And, yeah. At any rate, what's sh- tell me about Surf Shop Box. So Surf Shop Box is something that's been really exciting and, like, has blown up really rapidly. Like, it, it's like somebody threw a bunch of gasoline on a bonfire. Um, so it's a subscription-based model. Um, so you become a member. You get a surprise box of gear. That's worth at least $100 retail, and you pay under 50 bucks for it. And it shows up at your doorstep every month. And it's surf and water culture gear and, and just everything that will interest our, our, our uh, um, water enthusiasts. Yeah, exactly. Water enthusiasts, whether it's just something, somebody who lives in Lake Tahoe and likes to stand up paddle just in the summer all the way to the hardcore surfers. So we're, we're, I'm really trying to curate... And, and the team is trying to curate items that can speak to everybody. Right. And um, Kevin Teague, um, who is the, really the, the main brains behind this whole thing, came up with this idea and he approached me and um, I thought it, it sounded amazing. Yeah. And I learned through the process of – I always have some kind of other pursuits that I'm always learning. Mm-hmm. Like whether it's skydiving or archery and uh, just different things like that, snowboarding. So I know I'm constantly in the state of knowing what it's like, for lack of a better term, a newbie. Yeah. And you're like calling friends like, should I get this? Or is this like too much for my skill level right now and overpriced? Or like, I'm going to probably beat up whatever I get more now because I'm a kook. Right. <laughs> or, or whatever it is. So it's, I'm, I'm in these other categories. I'm always trying to search out these happy balance things. It's like not too expensive, going to last and, and really works with a wide range of ability. Mm-hmm. And so I try to take that mindset into what we curate with the surf shop box. Mm-hmm. And it's our, our um, members have just been very, very positive about it. It's been growing really fast. It really dovetails nicely with the Healy water ops thing, which is you're doing these adventures at locations with a small group of people, but it's also, this is, the gear that that group would be using at some point or another, you know, but yeah. bringing it, sending it to people individually rather than. Exactly. And it's like, it's, and it's putting together different items that are just plain interesting. Yeah. Like that, that our members would just never see coming and it's working, whether it's going out and finding a really good sunscreen brand and putting something like that in there as one of the, usually we have three items yeah. or more. Um, including deals that are only go out to our members that we um, negotiate um, yeah. with the with the different brands that want to work with us, um, and so there's usually a big item, a supporting item, then kind of a satellite item, mm-hmm. and then deals on top of it. Yeah, and and member only content like prints and yeah. t-shirts that are just one off runs for our members. So it's, we really try to do like unique and special things that they're going to value. Very cool. Very cool. Um, so I want to talk about Surf Film. You were talking about creating content is a big 
part of being a pro surfer now and a mm-hmm. part of what you're doing. Surfing Magazine is no longer in print. They've transitioned their social media account to something called at Surfer Films, and mm-hmm. they had a hundred or they had a one point two million followers. So obviously, they just take those people and funnel them to the new thing. And this Surfer Films is basically a sister account to Surfer Magazine, and it looks like they're just hoping to be like the go-to place for surf films on the internet. Is mm-hmm. what it looks like. Uh, but as they announced their launch yesterday on social media, one of the th- comments that they made was like, if you surf, you probably got into it because of some surf film. You probably watched surfing at some point mm-hmm. and decided to give it a shot. And I was just thinking like how much the medium has changed from mm-hmm. the endless summer being toured in high school auditoriums to now watching Albie Layer's double alley-oop on an Instagram, you know, uh, it's just, it's an entirely different medium. I'm wondering what your perspective is on the medium of surf film. I think it has more importance than ever, but at the same time, it's just changed, you know? So Mm -hmm. like whose clips do you look forward to watching? Who do you, what do you look forward to? Uh, more than anything, I love Mason Ho's clips. Do you? He's like the most entertaining surfer on the planet. Yeah. Um, it's so true. He, they're awesome uh, surfing and being interviewed like he's just classic <laughs> exactly. across the board and he's a good guy I've known him his entire life and uh, yeah he's. It, I just really like his approach It's he's not trying to impress anybody he's just you know you can see it's kind of like music I've always said that there's a difference man you can tell when somebody's putting their their heart behind something yeah even if you don't even see them perform or whatever it's and it could be any genre it's like yeah. a guy could be ripping on a sitar or something yeah it's, true. it's like I, there's something different about this there's a little more drive behind it um and i think it's the same watching people surf you know it's like guys like andy really had that you know and, and i think mason really has that and watching dane and uh Shane Dorian in Big Waves. The list goes on and on, but um, yeah, I just like watching people who it's coming from the heart. When you're hiring for a small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role, and there's no faster or effective way than through LinkedIn Jobs. Your time and capital are precious, and there is a powerful resource that can help you focus on what you're good at and integrate people into your team seamlessly to help grow your business. LinkedIn Jobs has created the tools to find the right professionals for your team efficiently and for free. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. Everyone is already on LinkedIn with their resumes and references, and now LinkedIn has designed a hiring platform to connect you with candidates specifically qualified for the job that you post about. More than a billion professionals meticulously organized to connect people by skill set to help us all advance our position. 2.5 million businesses already use LinkedIn for hiring, and 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. It's that fast, easy to use, and effective. LinkedIn Jobs can help you write job descriptions, filter the right person to you, and give you the tools to help you interview them like a pro. LinkedInJobs.com slash surf is where you go to post your job for free. Yes, totally free. Free. That's linkedinjobs.com slash surf to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. 
You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. In, I, I totally agree, and I think um, the sincerity. Like you nailed it. The sincerity is what is entertaining to us, you know? It's undeniable. Well, it gets me excited because, yeah. like, so I'm not just going out on a typical day at Rocky Point. Like, I don't get paid to go serve Rocky Point. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody yeah. gives, a, gives a damn. But, um, you know, you still have it ingrained coming up from professional surfing, doing a bunch of contests when a kid. You're like, God, I blew that turn. I dug a rail. So yeah. I've always surfed better when I'm just, like, kind of being, totally. like, doing my thing. Or at least had a ton more fun. Yeah. So I'd say that watching people do that gets me excited to go, go and do it myself, even if the waves are two feet. Yeah, I agree. What I'm curious what your um, what your thoughts are on like the medium of like a feature <laughs> format, like um, you know John John's three million dollar budget film, or I don't know. Did you see <clears throat> Ian Walsh's Distance yeah. Distance Between Dreams? Like, what are, what are the relevance of those things nowadays and what influence do they have? Do they have as much of an impact as things did back when we were spending 30 bucks per VHS, you know? I mean, I, For, think, I think they do. Okay. I mean, uh, For you, you from a blue moon, from, you know, I think that is, it's gotten surfing into places in youth culture that it, had, it permeated out into like that mainstream quite a bit. Also, from what I hear, that's it's already been pretty darn profitable too. Oh, really? Usually, okay. when uh, big features like that, um, and that was unprecedented, unprecedented as far as how big the budget was for surfing, I believe. Um, usually, they're a lost leader. Right. They're not expected to to make money, and I think Hurley's actually doing well with it. Well, they're expected to lose money, and often in the last five years or so, they're just given away. They don't even yeah. charge for them. You know. Mm -hmm. It's just a marketing tool. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, yeah, and it's I, I want to work on stuff like that. I was going to ask valued. you. Yeah, I'd rather do that than I mean. There's something that I realized in my surf career, which it you know there's always the risk of sounding like a whiny professional surfer. Like I will say, it is the best racket on on earth. Sure, it's great. You know, I'm not whining about it. I'm very very blessed to have it and. And have all the opportunities that have been afforded to me through it. But especially if you're whether you're a contest surfer or free surfer, you get this like unending pressure to be like, Oh, I I have to get the best way of a pipeline this day, or I'm gonna get dropped, or I have to get this page in a magazine, which is that's obsolete now. You're right. Uh or and it's just one thing after another and but it opens so many doors and you get to see the planet and get to meet so many awesome people but at a certain point of doing that you're like wow last thing i want to do is like i always wanted to keep in mind of doing things that are meaningful to myself and meaningful and helpful for everybody else because at the end of the day you don't want to look back and be like wow the last 10 years i spent a good chunk of my my free life just worrying about what was the next magazine the next swell got to be the guy when I could have been out like saving lives or helping yeah. people or doing something more meaningful like and you just don't want to get stuck in that routine and then 
then your mind goes to, well, if I'm going to do more things in this space, I want to do it big and I want it to be valuable. Right. I want it to be more inspiring than just like, you know, chewing gum clips. Well, do you have any big projects in the works? Any big film projects or opportunities? Yeah, there's um, one that's just been in, that's in the funding phase right now, which would be uh, pretty amazing if it goes. And it'd be a big wave film called Rising Atlas. And uh, that would be, you know, proper big budget. And what's your involvement in it? Uh, I would be one of the profiles characters in this thing but uh is it like a documentary um in a way it, it would be um uh, as of now it would be a brain farm project oh Same nice did travis's stuff and everything fantastic yeah very cool um what was the last surf film that you actually paid to watch view from a blue moon okay that was the last one because <clears throat> I, I don't know what my answer is to that you know, and like yeah. I want to support the surf community, but as I and I love the medium too. Like I was, I'd save, like I said, every thirty bucks I could to go buy mm-hmm. VHSs when I was a kid. But um, but and and I have to honestly say, and like half of that is me just studying too. Like, okay, this is what they did. That was a cool shot. Really, <laughs> you know, like there's just so you're inundated with content. Yeah, it's. Uh, yeah, but but I think uh, this whole like inundation and the short attention spans that have spawned from it, um, I think it's going to bring the best creatively out of people. Mm-hmm. I you agree. Know, it's going to take a lot more to stand out of the crowd. Yeah. Did you see Let's Be Frank last year? I have. That was awesome. You did? Yeah. Okay, cool. I saw it. See, I didn't buy it because I got to see it when they were um, streaming it on Red Bull TV. And they are again. I thought that was great. Yeah, I thought yeah. so too. And like, I love Frankie, dude. I've known him for forever. He's a, he's a classic. Dude. Well, like you're saying, it's going to bring bring the best out of people creatively. Mm-hmm. That was the most creative surf film I've ever seen in terms of blending narrative and action mm-hmm. with actually a true storyline of him going to Mexico and going to Hawaii. And like it mm-hmm. is following his travels. The narrative is then, of course, skewed into fiction. Mm-hmm. But... Um, they did a phenomenal job on elevating the art form. Oh, you know? absolutely. I was so happy to see that. And yeah. I think there needs to be more disruptive things in surfing. It's, you know, it's a blessing. It's great to see. And it's also scary. It's so intimidating. Like, well, just like, you know, WSL is doing really, you know, they seem to be really stepping up their game. But then it's like people are getting fined for saying things. Right. And like, you got to wear the same I don't know. Yeah, like I, it's like I I like it, but a part of me is like, oh, this is kind of scary at the same time. Yeah. Well, so speaking of Red Bull, um, I think they've they've uh, walked that line really. They've walked the fine line really well. Like mm-hmm. they have really slick, amazing production. Like when they did the Cape Fear event and the, mm-hmm. um, they didn't do the Jaws event. They did something else recently. Oh. I can't even remember what it was, but it was like they're doing these live streaming events, but mm-hmm. the production is just as slick as WSL, but they don't have the same kind of buttoned up mentality yeah. that the WSL has. Well, that's the really interesting thing, though, right? Is because the WSL has done that before, too, with a big cloud break Fiji swell. Um, oh, that's right. Where they just they called off the comp, but 
Yeah. Well, and then there's the other big swell, and they live streamed it as well. That was last year. Okay. And because they, the comp was going to be later, and they're already getting infrastructure there, so they're like, okay, we're going to live stream the swell. Right. And Red Bull's doing it too, but then it's like, what do the surfers do? And which it's great and all, but so this has happened to me five times over the last year. You go out, you surf and have an amazing time. You know, it's death to find like crazy stuff goes down. Like mm-hmm. we have to do CPR on somebody and one of them. And then you go in and they put a five page waiver in front of your face and ask you to sign it because you were on their live stream because yeah. Yeah. And they want to use it later. And you're like, so I owe it to you to be able, and you're not going to compensate. You're not going to like <laughs> help pay for my board bag fees coming over. So there's going to be, it's kind of wild west with the live yeah. stream and it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. You know, I think it's the future, but there's going to have to be a lot of things put in place to where, you know, yeah. people are on the up and up. I think I, I don't know. You know, I agree with you. That's murky water that they're going to have to navigate. But I always wonder when I watch like, like I was walking past a building the other day and um, mm-hmm. Julia Roberts face was on the side as she's the face of Lancome, mm-hmm. you know, the makeup brand. And I'm like, obviously they're paying her to use her image. <laughs> but if she walks out of LAX, TMZ can put cameras in her face and then put her image on their show at night and they're earning money off of her image. Exactly. By And so I wonder, like, how, how does TMZ get away with that? She didn't sign a form. If you're you know in public. I mean? If you're in a public place. Right. So that that's might in apply. America. It's different in different is countries. It? Okay. Yeah. But, I mean, there is some weird legal loopholes, though, that people can use to use other people's likenesses, you know? Yeah, probably. Um, and it's just, again, it's like, it, who knows what the legal side of that is. Yeah. But uh, it'll just be interesting if uh, people try to do things the right way or not. Yeah. You know? Yeah. You really hope so. Yeah, you really hope so, and I and I think they they've been trying to. It's just new, exactly. It's new ground. Everybody's saying it's it's so new. Like I, I will say with the WSL um, in the last couple of years, I feel like they are trying to do what's best for the athletes, for the viewers, for everybody. Mm-hmm. And there may be missteps along the way, like handing you that waiver, but they they are trying to do what's best. They, they are trying, and and that's the thing is that I've been in the position for a while of of being somewhat of a go-between and kind of helping represent the surfer's side of it. And, um, you know, and there's two sides to every story. It's like, yeah, of course. If there, A lot of surfers don't understand the business side and the liability side and the kind of hurdles that a, a, a company that's trying to promote the sport to make a profit has to have. So... You know, it, it, like I was talking about with the with the spear fishermen and the scientists. Yeah, you gotta you gotta meet in the middle. You can't mm-hmm. just bicker and be unwilling to listen to both sides of the story. Um, transitioning into big wave surfing and the experience that you talked about, where they either run the contest or they stream <clears throat> the free surf. I love surfing and. I want to watch surfing and I want to support surfing, but big wave surfing for me has been something that's been really challenging to watch (laughs) the contests because it's so boring, you know, like there's long long lulls lulls. and I think it's something that the WSL or whomever has difficulty promoting because they have to call on the event with like 
72 hours notice. They can't. Mm. Whereas like the Gold Coast Quicksilver Pro event, we have scheduled out a year in advance and we Mm. know when that window is. The big wave events, they have to call on at the last minute. Although on the flip side of the equation, I think it has wider appeal to the public than any other facet of surfing because a non-surfer can appreciate a guy on a 60-foot wave Mm. more than he can the nuance of Kelly Slater's top turn at lowers, you know? Mm. So it's like it has bigger appeal but bigger challenges at the same yeah. time well the, i don't think those challenges are as big okay I've, I've had this conversation with paul speaker before and the thing is is you have to okay the the big wave surfing thing when it when it's an event that's really cranking like the jaws event or when the eddie runs it crushes all viewership totally records Th- those two examples by the way were phenomenal events right well they had they Th- had this past year. professional webcast team um and but so this is what i was saying i was i was telling him like why don't you do the due diligence of taking everybody that's on that tour and you go and film a piece on them you know in their home training have people get to know them during all of these long lulls like ufc was like you know basically underground sport if you were to watch it i remember getting the vhs UFC tapes from Cammies back when it was around yeah. Sunset Beach and, and watching it just like well, this will never catch on I did the same thing but you know what they humanized it so you have all this dead time to do storytelling during mm-hmm. these events during these lulls and the thing is is you even look at Nazare that was going to be a first of its kind event and everything but it was like, like oh no it, it, it's really going to be on and it's just because of lack of resources put behind it it you know that webcast could have been a lot better. Camera, yeah. like you got to go do your scout. You got to go pre-shoot your content. Yep. And you know maybe you can normalize and average out that viewership then from the Cracker Jaws events to the ones that are a little slower yep. by having that interesting content. But it takes an investment, of course. And I don't think it'll ever. I don't think it's going to catch on without it. Would. And my my thing I was always saying in the meetings, I'm like, there's nothing that could be possibly worse for this tour than a bunch of guys with less technical ability on ten foot boards surfing twelve foot waves. Yeah. It's the worst thing ever for big wave surfing. Totally. And they don't wanna do it. There's just there's a lot of challenges. It's like you gotta crown a champion with more than one event, you mm-hmm. know, for people to take it seriously and you got so they're working and they're trying, but I really think it comes down to writing the check and doing the pre-production due diligence. What do you think about the idea of including one of those big wave uh, events on the actual CT? Um, for all the CT guys? Yeah. like, like I think <laughs> a lot of them won't want to do it. If it's uh, like if you Nazare or something, like people might could very well die. Yeah, is it that is the sport that much different to where it's different? So uh, and there's great guys that can translate, but if you're going from your super everything that you do all year besides pipeline and maybe chopo is like riding super skatey boards way back on the tail and very high performance surfing, and you're trying to transition to not it at at the shortest probably a nine eight if it's a real event with yeah. proper surf and it's just it, it's a different way of riding it, it is but i just wonder conceptually or theoretically like 
We're looking for the best surfer in the world. That's what the World Championship Tour is. We're looking, you know. I want to see it. I think yeah. it should be. Like, I would like Amen. to slowly transition over that, over to that because 12-foot cloud break, or let's say Chopu, is entirely different than 3-foot snapper. Mm-hmm. So you can make the same argument there, you know, and they're yeah. going from riding a 5'11 to a whatever. They're riding at Chopu. <laughs> <A> 6'3". <laughs> well, John John maybe is riding a 6'3 there. But, um, you know, so I... I just think like I would like to see that transition start to kind of happen. As a fan, I would definitely I, love. It would to throw see a that. spanner in the works, you know. Yeah. Like, why not? Yeah. Um, what are some ways that the WSL could make the big wave tour better for the surfer, for the contestant? Well, a the prize money's got to re- be respectable. Okay. So you know, you go on, you know, you have something that. You know, breaks the internet like a Jaws event, or and then it ends up on Sports Center, and you know Billy Kemper is holding up a, a, he's in a bar holding up a small trophy and a check for like thirty thousand dollars. Right. Like people are like, what? This ain't a sport. Right. This is like curling in the Olympics. Yeah. You know, it's when it. What is it? I think the big wave event prize money is. It was a fifth of what the women's events were. But it's just it's disproportional, you right. know. You got and a lot of guys aren't. They don't have a lot of sponsors. They got a second job. They got f- maybe families. It's a different breed for the most part. That's into big wave surfing, right? And you can't, you know, when they're dropping everything last minute to go and jet lag and risk their life to help make you money, like come on, and you got to f- be compensated. Yeah, to fly to Portugal on a couple days' notice with all the equipment and stuff. It's it's dangerous, not, and it's not cheap. <laughs> no, for guys. With multiple jobs, you know. Which, at least now, I think, what was it? It's like two and a, two grand, two and a half grand, you get it for right away for showing up. But that's not going to cover going to Portugal for no. money. No, So if they want, like, <clears throat> the best surfing, there has to be the resources behind it. But I understand it's a business, too. And, you know, I don't know how, what the, you know, yeah. the balance sheet looks like on it. And Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I've... For a long time now, I've felt like the largest innovations that we're going to see in surfboard design will be in the realm of big wave paddle surfing. Um, And I also feel like the biggest changes in big wave surfing will happen because of some new board innovation. Mm -hmm. You know, those things kind of go together. But where do you see the biggest areas of improvement for board design and paddle and guns? That's an interesting one. Um, I'll explain to the listener real quick. Like, you need a lot of foam to paddle quickly. The waves are larger, so they're moving faster. So mm-hmm. you need these giant boards. But once you're up and riding on the giant board, it's a lot less maneuverable. So exactly. we saw we saw Kai Lenny do an air this year. It's actually stomping air this year at Jaws, but it was on a tow board, right? Yeah, and he was doing turns in the in the Jaws event. Actually, like kind of top yeah. turns. You know? Yeah, it's. So where are the biggest areas of innovation, do you think, for board design in paddle surfing? Biggest innovation, it's, yeah, it's it's going to, we've, we've tried so many different things that I feel like it's going to have to be something somewhat radical. <laughs> like, yeah, at this point, almost like, got it. It's so hard because you're, you're really dealing with two completely different, <laughs> like, 
Yeah, like you said, it's got a paddle, and then you know you have all that foam. So more foam is, especially when it's a skipping stone going at you know thirty five knots. Yeah, it's hard to tip over and get on a rail and get that rail to bite, especially when you're hitting big old chops like you are at Jaws. It, it wants to pop that rail back out of the water. What about um, the hydrofoil? The hydrofoil definitely, but it's going to have to get into a place where it's going to have to get into a place where it's going to get a little safer to be in the zone. Yeah. You're not just going to get like tomahawk by that thing every time you fall, I think. Yeah. The hydrofoil has a ton of promise. It really does. A ton. I will, I'm I'm ordering one. I'm going to I was actually meant to call Laird yesterday and ask him if I line if I could, he could line it up for me it yeah. just looks so fun yeah it, it eliminates a lot of the design issues that you have with riding on the water surface mm-hmm. um i just feel like you know the boards that john john's riding at pipe and mm-hmm. the, the places that he's taking off under the lip mm-hmm. and chopu and the how small the boards are that he's riding seemed unimaginable a couple of years ago, and I feel like we're going to make somebody's going to make that same transition in paddle and surf too. No, I, it's the wave. Like everybody, I I knew you could you at a certain point you wouldn't, especially on your backhand, wouldn't want to use something over like a six three at Chopo because you just fall under it. Yeah. Whereas a, you can do that on waves with a very round barrel shape. Yeah. That just scoop. Whereas you got these big raw open ocean waves like Jaws, you can't do that. The lip will beat you to the bottom. Right. It's <laughs> that lip's covering a lot of ground. Yeah. And even with a big board, sometimes you see guys going straight on twenty footers, and the lip's just there to meet them. Yep. So you can't. It's really hard to be under it. Like there's incredible room for for progress on a lot of different levels. But these are the things that need to happen. You need the ultra-talented person that's willing to take crazy amounts of risk. Mm-hmm. And the, the amount of risk to achieve these things is so great that your success ratio, if you're like you know, a super freak like John John, are going to be maybe 50-50. And out of that, you, know, you try four times, two times you're going to go down, and it's a 50-50 whether you're going to get hurt on one of those two times. Right. And if you're that much of a young talent, you get hurt, there goes millions of dollars yeah so it's this you just need a freak that doesn't care and is willing to get really hurt right (laughs) yeah interesting um health and fitness has become a real essential component for the success of the peak performers in our sport whether they're the world champ or just the best aerialist you know Mm -hmm. um what's your you're obviously fit what's your health and fitness regime and routine look like it, it honestly varies. I just, you know, routine's kind of like a cuss word for me. Is it? I know. Yeah, it's just... You live like, a nomadic lifestyle. It would I be do, hard yeah. to even maintain a routine. I thrive in chaos. <laughs> um, but uh, it, so for me, it's like I've, I've been doing that gymnastica natural. And you see like John John and D'Souza was doing it before with Kid, Kid Peligro. Which has been great. I've been doing it with him for years. And, uh, I only see... I mean, I don't pay that close of attention, but I've only seen that on the North Shore. Are there other Gymnastica schools outside yeah, Al- of the Alvaro, North Shore? who started it, I believe he's out of San Diego now. Oh, okay. Yeah, so it's spreading. And um, Can you explain what that is? So basically, it's a set of animal 
Oh, it, it's a it's a mix between animal movements, almost like capoeira break dancing esque, and like some jujitsu kind of like rolling. So it's it's meant to keep flow through the exercise. Okay, and there's no weights involved. It it really incorporates breathing a lot. So breathing correctly and getting your body to breathe efficiently while you're in movement and using strength but it's like all these strength and flexibility movements okay so for me my biggest challenge is always range of motion i'm i'm a beat up like guy at this point you know Mm -hmm. so for me flexibility and range of motion is kind of like what i have to really do the most work at i can get my cardio up in Two days. Okay. You know, I can go on a promo tour where it's just been kind of uh, uh, just living a somewhat unhealthy lifestyle for two weeks, and within two days, my cardio is back 100%, okay. or strength comes back really easily. But it just seems for me, with all those old injuries and stuff, flexibility and range of motion is what I really got to work at. Okay. And so this kind of hits all of those points. Okay. Um, and besides that, I'm, I'm always freediving a ton a lot more than i'm surfing honestly um and uh yeah being in the water surfing and just whatever seems interesting to me that day whether it's riding the bike up in the mountains above my house whether it's going on on a hunt like so you're hiking a long ways and you're dragging a lot of weight out um if you're successful (laughs) right uh or just doing beach workouts or you know when i come here i I go train with Laird and, at Laird and Gabby's house with their XPT life stuff um, and just try to keep it fun. So are you on the on Oahu? I'm on Oahu. Okay. North Shore. Cool. Um, what does what your diet look like? My diet is I eat – I try not to do – you know, sh- I, I try to veer away from sugars – um, I eat as far as meats go. I eat as much as I can, uh, either meat that I've got myself. So quite a, my red meat is mainly axis deer, and that's coming from either Lanai or Maui. Usually, uh, lots of fish that I go and spear, um, and then for fruits and veggies, I try to keep it as local as possible. Um, and you know, my parents grow a lot of fruits and vegetables and I have a lot of friends and you trade and, and it's very nice living in Hawaii yeah <laughs> you can actually live that way for the most part pretty much the only time you know I'm I'm buying like a main is if I'm going out to eat you're on the road so much I would imagine that happens all the time yeah yeah exactly there's just no choices at, at a certain point yeah sometimes you just gotta buckle down and yeah choke down a freak whatever you can find but i take a lot of things like that's uh, what i was gonna ask progenics yeah so those supplements are awesome like i i really need the meal replacement ones because i have a hard time like getting an appetite a lot of times so Mm. i can force myself so if i'm on the road or on a plane and i don't want to eat some crappy food i'll do um the progenics build and then the recovery is huge for me it's crazy because if you since I do so many different like workouts, I, mm-hmm. I'll hop into one that I ha- maybe I haven't done in a while, 
just because I feel like it and I have a really bad habit of just going like a thousand percent anytime yeah. I do it. <laughs> and this is like to torture myself. Yeah. And then I just can't walk for like two days. Right. <laughs> but that recovery, man, it, it keeps me from getting that lag where I'm just like not even capable of working out after I, I'm like not even sore after wow. blowing myself out. And then there's this other little like supplement that I've been using as meal replacement. It's called Hanna. Okay. One H A N A H or H A N N A H. Okay. And um, it's just this this natural old Ayurvedic recipe, and it's kind of tastes like you know dumping grandma's entire spice cupboard in your mouth at once. Sure. But it totally works, works. and gets me yeah. going. What in regard to health and fitness? Do you have any meditative practice or anything other than kind of diet and exercise? Lots of breathing. Breathing is probably what I focus on the most. Okay. Um, is there a method that you study? Uh, I just take everything from everywhere that yeah. I learn. And that's what I've had to do from coming from a free dive world and learning about surviving surfing because there's no playbook for it. And there's sure. still no real playbook for it. Right. Um, and it's, yeah, taking things from yoga because I do practice yoga quite a okay. bit too. So um, taking things from yoga, taking things from free diving, taking things from like the Wim Hof and XPT life guys and taking things from, and I take all that and then apply what I have my real world experience and I mm -hmm. tweak it to that. What's your breath holding record or limit at this point? Um, I think a couple weeks ago or a no, that would have been a couple of months ago by now. I did a 610 wow. static, just sitting around. I think I could hit seven if I get in the right state of mind, for sure. But um, that's a, that's my high point right now. Yeah, six minutes and ten seconds is a long time. Yeah, you're seeing stars. <laughs> <laughs> um, in the interest of time, I'll kind of go into closing questions, but... Are there any projects that you're currently working on that you want to talk about other than the surf shop box and the mm -hmm. Healy Water Ops? So it's going to be really exciting. It's called eMentor, E-M-N-T-R. Okay. And uh, I was just on the phone uh, talking to uh, the founder and partner uh, about the launch that's going to be beginning of March. So basically, it's a platform to connect people with experts, right? So if you imagine the Uber concept, but to connect with skilled people in different areas. Okay. And this is going to... It's going to start with our, our focuses are surfing right now to get it off the ground. So basically a curated group of reliable, skilled people. Um, so you can go on an app, say, I'm going to Hawaii. I want a one-on-one -on -one class with somebody that's knowledgeable that can teach me and really create an experience. And you look and... You know, say there's 20 different guys who's available these days. What are they rated? This is they've got feed. customer and reviews on there and yeah, everything. You yeah. connect with them, and so it's it's in that area between you know a typical surf lesson experience and like Healy Water Ops okay. experiences that you know start at fifty thousand dollars. Yeah. Um, so it's much more for the enthusiast mm -hmm. and we're going to be going off into snowboarding mountain biking and yoga and uh branching out from there very so cool. it's super exciting i think there's going to be a lot of demand and i think so too and the uh kailani is actually a partner in it as well okay and um 
the the real key to it is just that it's a very heavily curated and trustworthy people right that are involved in this so we we really want to be you know the place to go to for for trusted amazing experiences yeah. the mentors can't sign up themselves and create an account they're all no. selected yes yeah that's very cool um what was the last surf trip you took and what's the next surf trip on the books <laughs> see this is how much my life has changed <laughs> so last surf trip i guess it was i had to go do meetings in san francisco and mavericks was breaking the next day so i canceled a couple other ones that's <laughs> and, nice and, and went from sf there's been to a couple in bay a couple good days this year, yeah right? there's it was really pumping yeah not too long ago yeah. um Besides that, what was my last straight-up surf trip? That's a great question. Um, it's just been short ones for swells. Yeah. Yeah, I hurt my back. was out for two months and just really hungry to surf at home. Um, do you have any surf trips lined up? I'm just playing it by ear. Cool. Right now. I don't I – don't, I think the, the concept of, of, of booking surf trips – in advance is like totally out of the question for me at this point. Yeah. yeah it's like, it. you, I'd rather, I'd rather go to a place for three days, surf my brains out because I know it's going to be pumping than show up with a bunch of buddies and you end up, you know, drinking beers the whole time. Right. Not totally. <laughs> the final question I ask everybody on the show is just what was the last surfboard that you rode? Last surfboard that I rode is a nine, eight, Pizel WRV Padillac Quad at Mavericks. It's a big board. Yeah. Nobody's ever answered the question with that board before. <laughs> or <laughs> anything like it, anything. actually. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Alright, well right on. Thanks. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, Appreciate of course. it. Gladly. There's in the trees if you tap them. On the seas, if you map them, Christian, if you see your papa, tell him I love him. He taught me to love in the wild and fight in the gym. He taught me the bottle gives birth to the cup. If you just keep your hands up. Thank you, Mark, for taking time out of your busy, busy schedule to make this happen. Um, it was funny. After we shut the mics off, I was kind of sympathizing with Mark um, about not surfing as much as you would like to kind of at this stage in our lives. We were both born in 1981, so we're the same age. And... Uh, you know, I asked him in this conversation, where was his last surf trip? Where's his next surf trip? And he struggled to even remember. But he's busy traveling. Like, he, he was snowboarding in British Columbia. He was in Cabo, but not surfing. I was explaining that it's not that I struggle to find the motivation to go surfing. It's just that I find gratification out of a lot of other areas in my life, you know? So surfing um, kind of get takes a back seat or at least it does when the conditions aren't optimal and he brought up an analogy which it seemed like maybe he has thought of before and used before but um, I found it to be really apt and he was 
what it was was he was saying that surfing is kind of like family. When you're young, you rely on it heavily, and you want it around all the time, or you kind of need it around all the time. But as you get older, you don't really need to see your family that often, and you know that they're still there, and you know that you love them, and that they love you, and you can rely on them when you need to. But you don't need to see them regularly. You don't need to see them every day, anyway. And uh, I thought that was so true, you know. So, for what it's worth, I wish that we had the mics on when Mark delivered that. But I'll bring it to you here in the closing of the show. And of course, I'll also direct you to SurfSplendorPodcast.com, where we have everything that Mark and I discussed in this episode, as well as photos and videos of Mark doing his thing. Super impressive um, surfer, but also hit the footage of him riding a great white and um, diving with sharks is pretty remarkable stuff. And his Instagram and website are Healy Water Ops. So dot com and then of course at Healy Water Ops. Check him out, give him a follow, tell him what you thought about the show, and then uh, you know, support the businesses that he supports that allow him to keep doing what he's doing. It's really cool that we have a really diverse set of professional surfers at this point in in the surf world in the surf industry it's cool that companies are supporting guys that are doing something other than just winning contests and getting cover shots on magazines so give them a follow and let them know what you think of this new media platform all right i hope that you enjoyed this conversation i'll be back next week to catch up with scott bass um we had trouble getting together at the end of last, I just got back from Cuba last week, and so we were going to get together at the end of the week. Didn't work out, and then he flew out um, Monday this week, so we weren't able to connect again. But we will definitely align next week. It's already on the books. So I'll explain my experience in Cuba then, and we will get all caught up on everything that is relevant in surf news. Until then, this is, of course, David Scales signing off and encouraging you to get back in the ocean, get a couple waves, and shred on. Shred on.